Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash God is gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. Today, I'm sharing a conversation between myself and my dad. <laughs> Hi, dad. Hello. <laughs> um, my dad is a very unique individual in my eyes because he is a man that raised me in the Christian faith who taught me what I knew about the Bible. We used to have beautiful conversations one-on-one -on -one just about the beautiful stories and the romance and the adventure that was in the Bible. And I was so captivated by it that we would go into his office at night and have these beautiful conversations. And for so long, I was just the quintessential perfect Christian daughter. And we had a lot of discord and difficulty when I started coming out with some of my more liberal, wild ideas and saying that they were Christian and they were aligned with the spirit of Jesus, in my opinion, um, such as LGBTQ rights and one of those topics that's really graded me that's been difficult is we've had screaming matches, which I'm not proud of, but they happened regarding police brutality. And a lot of my confusion about my dad's perspective has been that he spent how many years, dad, teaching? Uh, 30, 30 years. Yeah, 30 years in inner city Philly teaching, you would say about 98% black student body. Oh, yeah. And oh, then maybe yeah. like 2% Puerto Rican. And Vietnamese also. Okay. And did you even have any white students? Not that I recall. <laughs> wow. Okay. I started teaching originally in, in, in Montgomery County where it was a mix of white students and black students. But in the Philadelphia school system, no. It was, it was all the black schools I was part of. Did you happen to listen to the conversation I had with Reverend Denny, uh, Lenny Duncan last week? Um, no, I didn't. Mom and I were going to watch that tonight, as a matter of fact. Okay, great. I would love to hear what you think about that. And because something that interesting that's been popping up for me is the realization that you, I know you gave so much light and love to your students 
and you are such a positive force. And the reason I know that for sure is that you had students years after you left the school system calling you every Christmas to say that they love you and, and call you yeah. pops and call you dad yeah. and yeah. call you Mr. Ski. And um, there was so much like camaraderie and love. And I know just by your example that that's what you gave them. But when I talked to Reverend Lenny Duncan, who was raised in inner city Philly, it was just so fascinating to realize that we were truly born on the opposite sides of the tracks, as they say. Um, in this case, more literally on opposite sides of the bridge. And we were in, you know, middle class, primarily white neighborhood in New Jersey. And I went to school with probably about five black kids and maybe two Puerto Rican kids, all the rest white. So you taught in inner city Philly, but that school, if I'm not mistaken, wouldn't be adequate or right for your own children to attend am i right in saying that yeah i think uh, they should be exposed to all different cultures it makes you a well-rounded individual and plus you can see things and like <laughs> i don't know it's like the, the kids used to kid me about um thanksgiving day and do we go to grandma's house and do we have, uh, you know, turkey and dressing, you know, and they said it in kind of a funny way, which cracked me up. So I would counter them, you know, and I would say, oh, and what do you do? You have your, uh, what, your grits and your, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I kind of lost touch with that, but I really, the kids and I, we really had a, a good rapport going. I know there's so much, you know, I'm on the internet and it can be such a volatile space, which is what I'm going to talk about in this video that's accompanying this podcast about how we speak to each other. I, for one, feel so bullied, for lack of a better word, by many kids that are Gen Z, the generation under me, not under me, but after <laughs> me, um, telling me how I can talk, how I need to think even, how I need to feel even. And I'm not comfortable being told by anyone how to think or feel because for me, God is gray and this whole process of deconstructing my faith has always been about not allowing people to tell me how to think and feel because I've, I've been in that process my whole life, people told me how to think and feel about God and it was not right because I really believe the answers are in your own heart within your own Holy Spirit. So all of that to say, I know how the reaction would go hearing you joke around about grits and everything in the black culture. But at the time I saw you interact with your black students and you used, in my opinion, those tactics to disarm them and to almost make a joke so that they would feel more comfortable and safe in your presence. Like oh, you, yeah. you used humor so much. Why did you use humor? And, and did you ever offend any of the students by making these like racial jokes to them? Well, I took some of their, I guess you might say, uh, beliefs or uh, hangups about white people. Cause there were, was one time I remember when uh, uh, it was toward the end of the school year and uh, a couple of my seniors were standing out in the hallway 
and we it was a group the counselors were bringing in a group to tour the the school and uh there were there was uh one white kid with all all those black and vietnamese kids and one of my seniors looked at me and said oh look ski there's one of your people and <laughs> so i said you know oh that's kind of racist isn't it <laughs> well i mean it's one of your people right <laughs> i said okay we'll let it go at that and then <laughs> it, you know and then it was the time when uh, another um crazy belief that some people have uh we were talking about it me and the kids and the and and the kid said, uh, "Is it true, Ski, that most white people think that all black people look alike?" And I said, "No, no." I said, "Primarily, my problem is all these white people look alike, and mm -hmm. I don't know how to handle that." <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's that kind of silly stuff, and we got along. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you when I first got in there, Brenda. When I first my first day of teaching and i'm standing in front of the room and i'm looking at all these black faces looking at me and i i was that was a whole new experience for me you know i walked in there because you got to remember i i was raised in an all white neighborhood and i really didn't see my first black person until like maybe i was six seven years old wow and yeah yeah so it was a whole new experience for me but then after I just a very short period of time, I could definitely see not, you might say I went beyond looking at the skin color. I looked at the, the person, the kids, and each kid had a unique personality. And I was a little shocked. I said, oh my goodness, they're just like white people. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> So yeah, you're talking about this exposure to another culture and that deep insight that you had as one of their teachers. I think it's yeah. also interesting to note that your parents, my grandparents were immigrants from Poland and they received a lot of racial slurs and comments in Fishtown, yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah. Like what in are some of the, yeah, go ahead. I just interrupt you in the neighborhood that I was raised in, when I moved out of the Polish neighborhood I was in, the kids were, uh, very unfriendly, and he started calling me, you Jew, you know, your big nose person, you know, crazy stuff like that. And I, uh, I, I ended up staying in a house because mm -hmm. they were cruel. They were really cruel to me. And, and I was talking to my mom about it, and I said, what's going on with these kids? I'm not Jewish, and what's wrong with a Jew anyway? And my mom, she didn't want to get involved. And, you know, just stay in the house, stay, stay here. As a matter of fact, the next door, we had a vacant lot that my parents would buy, they, they bought it because it was next to the house so that I had a place, a safe place to go to because they faced it, fenced it in to play. So I didn't have to go out and meet with these uh, weird kids. Mm. Yeah. How did it feel as a child to be judged based on your appearance alone? Uh, well, it, it was just, it's a scary feeling. You know, you like to think that you are uh, accepted for who you are, 
and you have a chance to interact with other pe people without feeling that they're looking at you like you're not part of the group. What are you, where are you coming from? Why are you here? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I was pretty well isolated. Later on, my sister was too, when, you know, she came into the world. And uh, us kids, I always tell my mom, let's, let's move back to the Polish neighborhood where, you know, I could walk into the butcher shop or walk into the uh, grocery store and I was treated like a, a, a regular person. Mm -hmm. Not some, you know, yeah, it was this scary feeling. I think that's the, the, the most like demonic thing about racism is that people just want so much to be seen and to be loved. And we are created in our father's image, needing that love and acceptance. And when someone doesn't see you, it's so difficult when, when someone is brutalizing you based on the color of your skin or by your appearance, they're not seeing you, they're dehumanizing you. And, and when you watch someone be able to disconnect your humanity from yourself, that to me must be a terrifying feeling. Well, you know, I have some thoughts on that because I was thinking about that the other day with all these riots and things uh, that we or I am a product of my parents, the way my parents, you know, raised me. And I noticed this when we got a TV set, which was back in the fifties, it was a lot of shows like, uh, uh, black people were like treated like, uh, it's hard to say. Like um, servants or. Yeah, right. Yeah, servants there. Well, even the movie uh, Gone with the Wind. Yeah. You know, all, all the black people in there were servants, basically. And then also they were the, like some of the comedy shows that I saw, like Amos and Andy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Black people were pictured as buffoons that they didn't know. You know, they were stupid and, and people just laugh at them. Mm. So I grew up with those things in my head. You know, and I know a lot of kids of my age, well, now you could look back on that and I could talk to anyone in my generation and they would all say that. Now, the problem is, and you can't imagine how happy I am that you and Chris are not, you don't have any of that stuff in your head about inferior people and you look at their heart and you look at what they're coming from. I am so, so happy about that because I carry these crazy things. And that's why I think when I first started teaching in a black school, I was scared. <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, no. I, I remember growing up outside of Philly every night on the local news, they would feature in Camden in North Philly, um, the murders going on. Yeah. So my perception of black people was I believe if you hadn't worked in school where you familiarized me with the individuality, the personality and the belovedness of another race that I would have received the message that they were scary because I've talked to other white people 
And fine, driving into a crime-ridden neighborhood is just scary on its basis. Yeah, How, sure. However, you know, like, you know, I've, I remember going to a concert with some friends in Camden because they have a big uh, concert hall there. I don't remember what it's called. But um, people, someone in the car was like, oh, black people are scary because a couple of black people walked by and they locked the doors and everything. And I, I, I was very offended by that. And I'm very sorry to say that I didn't say anything. I was, and I think that's so much of what we're learning right now. No more of this complacency of allowing comments like that to slide without calling them out. Because I knew from my education from you that black people couldn't be lumped into a category of scary and how unfair and, and grotesque right. that was. Right but I didn't say anything. And, and that's the beauty of what's happening now, this call to say something. Yeah, and, well, I think, I think your generation is, I think it's a major breakthrough in, in, in our country that, that you are seeing uh, Vietnamese, uh, black people as people. And there's mm -hmm. nothing, you know, and you, you get to know them and like, you know, the only, these people are only strangers until you get to know them. Then they become friends, you know. But, you know, also remember that this thing works in reverse, too. I've met a lot of black folks that are very prejudiced against white people. Now, I don't know where they get their feelings from because, I like, for example, I was transferred to this middle school and uh, I had... Now, see, the policy in Philadelphia was you had to have an equal amount of white people and black people, teachers, I mean, white teachers and black teachers, just to balance it out. And I went to this one middle school, and I think most of the teachers were black because, you know, it's not just saying, oh, uh, because you're black or because you're white, you have a job. No. You have to have skills in your area. So if they couldn't find, you know, a, a balance of people because they couldn't get the skills, then, uh, you know, that's the way it was. But I remember this one black principal, this woman, she did not like me at all because I, not to my own fault, but I had re replaced a, a black teacher in a computer class and she didn't like that at all. And she, uh, I, the whole year I was there, she was just giving me a hard time. And I even heard her talking to another, well, I don't, don't want to say that, but yeah, she was very, uh, uh, very prejudiced. Okay, well, this is where I think I'm praying so much. And actually I'll say a quick prayer for us because I think a conversation could maybe get more difficult from here. Although I love how we've begun. I'm so happy to hear your perspective. And I, I hear a lot of evolution in you as well from when we were screaming at each other about Trayvon Martin. Um, yes, Lord, just give us peace. Remind us to love one another. This is my father. I am his daughter. Thank you for being in this conversation <laughs> and keeping us both in a state of love and peace. And Chris, God my God is good. Chris, my brother, would realize why I had to pray, pray that prayer because I have screamed and cried in public in restaurants having these conversations with you. And 
I'm grateful for the education on how to deal with difficult people. Thanks to you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But okay. So, cause my question and why I prayed for peace and civility between us right now is because I'm not quite sure of some of the transitions that you had seemed to make in thought and, and belief maybe towards black people, towards policing in black neighborhoods, and even your question of, you know, why would this woman be prejudiced against me? Kind of feels so obvious to me, even though it it may have hurt you. And I know that was such a difficult year for you. I was there Mm -hmm. for it. It was horrible the way you were treated. And you didn't deserve to be treated like that because of your skin. But for me, I'm just like, well, yeah. What do you think she's been through to even give her that that's right against you i look at it as a great experience from god when i when i look back on it because now i know how a black student or black teacher would feel if it was the other way around it was a white principal and so that was a great experience for me yeah it it put things in perspective to me that you know people like mom's got that little thing on a refrigerator be kind you don't know what kind of battles the other person is fighting and these battles that you fight it's not the color of your skin it's your life it's what happens to you you know what you experience but yeah their experience is based on the color of their skin and i personally feel yeah and and some of these uh policemen what age they are i don't know I made an observation. I don't know if it's true or not, but I look at policemen around, well, like my generation. Their education was based from their parents and their parents, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so you're acknowledging they would have the same biases as you, just just the way they were raised. Right, but then you look at the older policemen like say around my age you notice they are very open-minded and they understand what's going on at least that's that's been my experience the young guys are kind of like i don't know a little crazy (laughs) well i'm i'm researching a lot more because you know i'm a researcher and i'm learning a lot the right way (laughs) exactly (laughs) um But I'm horrified by what I'm learning of just how these people, these police officers have been trained. They're not trained to de-escalate. They are trained to fear uh, certain communities. You know that in Camden, police have outright abandoned that city. Oh yeah. And let it become some sort of wild west. And, And sometimes I believe they're probably better for it because I talked to a white friend yesterday who um, you know, I don't want to traumatize anyone by saying this. Maybe I'll avoid saying it, but they, they pulled him. He found the woman's wallet and it had a couple hundred dollar bills in it. And police thought that he had stolen it and they like punched him to the ground and were calling Ooh. him a faggot. And he was 14 years old, a white kid in, in California. So I've heard a lot about the way he said he even called them out and was like, why are you calling me a faggot? I just want to know, can you please explain that to me? And one of the junior officers apparently said, 
we find that strong language really motivates people to tell us what's happening. Like that's their like interrogation kind of thing. Um, also, did you see that 70 year old white man who was pushed by the police and who is in critical condition right now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh you mentioned Camden. I want to say this. Did you hear about the uh, protests in Camden where the police were right there with, with the neighbor neighborhood? No. Oh yeah. This yeah. is right now. Yeah. And there were no stores vandalized or in Camden. Because they were places. with them. Yeah. And the police were marching with, with the neighbor, with the people in the neighborhood. I mean, that's excellent. And I wonder if they're, I, I have to research more about Camden because I wonder yeah. if their mm -hmm. unique perspective on policing and how they failed that community, because for many years they have flat out failed Camden. And I know they yeah. failed North Philly where again, Reverend uh, Lenny Duncan is from. And I want to know from you, would we still scream at each other about Trayvon Martin? Have you changed your perspective at all on that? Because from what I remember, I was screaming at you. What was my perspective? I forgot already. Your perspective was similar to what I'm hearing a lot of Christians, to my dismay, say, which is that, hey, Black communities are riddled with crime. Black-on-Black -black crime is more prevalent. Black people kill Black people more than anyone else kills them. And therefore, when a Black man is walking with a hoodie, like he should have known to be more careful than that because doesn't he know how he was, how he could be perceived? Like he needs to be more careful. And then it's the same thing. You and I were also screaming about, you know, George Floyd died because he was trying to pass off a counterfeit $20 bill, which to yes. me just goes to show a lack of resource, a lack of need. If someone is, is passing a, a counterfeit $20 bill, you know, not only should they not be murdered, duh, but beyond that, we're not looking at these needs and being like, why is there so much, quote, crime? Why are these people dealing drugs? Well, it's because they've been trapped in the prison industrial system since they were 15 years old in juvie, and now they can't get a job, and now they're not known as real citizens of the world, or they have tattoos, and they can't be taken seriously, and people are afraid of them, like, and they're not getting an adequate education. When you were in that middle school, you were at your wit's end because the kids were out of control, but in this way where the learning wasn't possible because there was no. tensions were too high. There was gun violence. You come home at September 8th or whatever on the first day of school, practically in tears, telling us on the loudspeaker that they had announced which innocent children in middle school and high school were murdered that, that summer for a pair of Nike Air Jordans, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So to me, I'm so infuriated and what I was screaming about with you back in those days was your lack of acknowledgement of what brings people to commit these quote crimes, which to me are just basic survival is what's trying to occur out here. And then also on top of that saying, well, they should have complied. They should have went down faster. They should have put their hands up faster. They shouldn't have run away. Like to me, I'm so sick and tired and I when I say sick I mean literally physically sick 
of hearing white people say black men are being murdered by cops, but I don't want to hear that but anymore. And that's what I was screaming about to you. So all of that said, would we scream about that today? Have we become more aligned on these ideas? Well, I'm into researching too. And you're a researcher. You taught me how to research. Yes, you know which that. Is, right. Which is why the news you ingest bothers me because I see a lack of research in that. Ah, okay. I'm talking about Fox, y'all. And uh, I'm talking about Trump and lack of factuality. Like it's, it's surprising to me to see a researcher uh, <laughs> not be vigilant about the information is being ingested. Well, there's, you know, the charter schools are doing a lot better in Philadelphia than the regular high schools. And I, I think the the big problem is, I mean, as a teacher, I think the answer is, lies in a proper education. Yeah. Yeah, I really, really believe that. Um, Education is power. Yeah. And that's yeah. why misinformation is so hurtful to me. And seeing my, my educator dad believe any misinformation is really, it, it, um, it hurts me. Well, you know, I, you talk about teachers. That I met some really bad teachers. And the problem is, some policies. I mean, I, I've been added a school system for over 10 years now, so I don't know what's happening now. But I know back then, uh, you had, it was very hard for a teacher to get fired. Mm. Very difficult. I mean, you could um, do some, the only reason you could get fired is two reasons at that time, was sexually assaulting a student and the other one was beating on a student, becoming physical with her. Those are the only two reasons. But, you know, saying, uh, you know, insulting a kid in a class, you dummy, where's your homework? No problem. You know? Or sitting on your ass and not devoting yourself to doing exactly, anything. Exactly, exactly. I remember I, you I talking about into, that. I've walked into classes when I was looking for Tartonota teacher, and then they're sitting on their feet up on their desk reading a newspaper. Black and teachers, class, white teachers, both? Oh yeah, both. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Just absolutely. resigned and like given up. I mean, it's a thankless, underpaid job and everybody yes, knows that. Yes, it is. Yeah, I'm glad you understand that. Yes. <laughs> Please, for, of course I do. I mean, for all the money that people in sports and entertainment make for not really demonstrating any kind of skills. Um, and then you have a teacher who has to have an a degree of some sort. And uh, I guess, what do they call that? Sensitivity training? I, when I was, see the problem, well, I remember we had uh, we were required at one, one time, all the teachers, to attend a class on uh, homosexual students. 
and how we could handle them and how we can mainstream them then so they don't yeah and uh I'll, I'll tell you right now brenda we had i remember we all came to the auditorium the teachers and we had a couple authorities up on the stage experts in uh homosexuality and stuff and they started talking about it and then a couple of teachers just got up and walked out mm. and then pretty soon after they walked out everybody started walking out wow yeah what year is and I'm, this? I'm looking around and i see like maybe three teachers left and i'm, I'm feeling like you know and then a couple of teachers that i knew were out in the hallway you know waving at one guy say come on what are you doing you don't want to hear any of that crap wow. and yeah so the the system tried to you know explain to us what's happening and i thought it was worthwhile myself because i didn't know anything about it and i had some very strong christian beliefs about it mm -hmm. so i was going to uh feel i would get an education find out what's going on but uh it i mean i don't know what they're doing today but i hope they're doing something like that but it just didn't work back then because all the teachers were my age pretty much the same age as me we had a couple of young teachers there too but yeah yeah can i ask you uh what is what what are you hearing about learning about what's being presented on the news that you're watching and what kind of news are you watching because we're being very calm right now but i have an insider tip from my <laughs> mother that you haven't been super calm so like what what is the outrage and what are you learning well my outrage was this um First of all, you know how you feel about President Trump. I think my Love personal him. feeling is he's doing a great job. At I mean, right look, now as well? Well, he can't do anything now with this diet, with this uh, uh, plague, plague going on. But if you look at right now, the mainstream media predicted 19% of uh, um, unemployment. But it really it just came out that it's 13 percent and in may it was 2.7 million new jobs created and what i what i got upset about was it's always upset that i feel is injustice i you know where if a person does something wrong i feel he should be you know either retrained or fired you know because what gets me upset is the this russian hoax that trump was in bed with the russians which was totally untrue and it's coming out now and the main players on the stage now comey and and brennan they're all saying they know there was no evidence of the president going to bed with the russians well, why are they okay. saying it now well, this is interesting to me because this is what I see, all this pivoting away from the conversation. Because we're not talking about Russia right now. Like if 
you know, if you were a regular podcast guest of mine, I'd be like, hey, 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 we're getting off subject. We are talking about police brutality and our black brothers and sisters being murdered in the streets by police officers yeah, and, and citizens. That. So I'm not like trying to give you crap for that, but I'm just saying, okay, so you are saying, hey, let's not chastise someone for doing one wrong thing. When, when you heard President Trump say, grab him by the pussy, um, you told me, hey, that's my final straw. This guy is disgusting to me. But then you ended up changing, which fine. Like, I think I'm assuming that is a lot about like redemption and God forgives, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but now, okay, if we're not going to take the totality of what someone has done wrong, then let's take just this one isolated incident and have a conversation about how he is handling this moment. And I want to ask you, I just want to ask you, do you, have you heard from the Episcopal church that he stood in front of holding his Bible upside down? Did you hear what that Episcopal church congregation said about his presence there and their experience with him? Well, how about Clinton? Clinton did the same thing. Dad, see, this is the problem. This is the problem. We're not talking about that. This, to me, is the problem with Fox News. This is not a fair argument. We're not talking about any of this. So, again, I ask, can we focus on this? I asked you. He had an opportunity where he holds holds a Bible that I think you and I, fine, you're not going to want to judge him on this. It's not called two Corinthians. And most Christians know that if he's asked what kind of Bible verses are his favorites, he always says, Oh, that's personal. I don't want to talk about it. I'm not going to presume whether or not that man is a Christian. Cause I know we can go in circles in that, but I am asking you if you have heard about how the black congregants of that Episcopal church experienced and witnessed Trump's presence in front of their church. Did you hear about that? Mm-mm, no. Okay, so I, I will happily like send you articles on that and I'm actually reaching out to that congregation to see if I can have an interview with them because from their experience, they were out there trying to encourage people to peacefully protest and they saw peaceful protesters being tear gassed to make way for our president who refuses to wear a mask and he is flanked by his army of police and the people that protect him and his white skin and his privilege of being the president of the United States. And the Episcopal leaders of that church said he had no permission to be there. It was private property and that he did not behave in any way that they support. And they were very hurt and offended and they felt like their church was used as a prop in in authenticity and that he harmed protesters. And that was the antithesis of the message that they were trying to give out for Christ. So I just wanna know if you can, can you accept that as a fact, as a reality from the voices of those congregants? And if so, can you speak to that as a Christian man and whether or not you really feel he behaves accurately or appropriately in that moment? Well, can I just say one thing before I get to that? Okay, but can it, is it a pivot? I, I believe, no, this goes to back to what we're talking about. I'm, I'm talking chugging about, rose, by the way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's, see, that's not fair. I don't have a beer here, but you got rose. <laughs> They're not fair. Well, listen, 
I know students because I've I've been in college in classrooms with college students, high school students, middle school students, and let me tell you something: young people are not stupid. Thank God they aren't. They aren't. But let me tell you. I tell you what's going on here. Yeah. Ever since, you know, I mean, when I was when the Clinton scandal happened. I was getting all kinds of cartoons on my desk about it because the students pictured me as an authority figure. And therefore, being an authority figure, I should back up the president. Because and, he's the- and, and for my Gen Z audience, you're talking about the uh, blowjob Monica Lewinsky scandal. Yeah. Because exactly, they might not even know. Exactly. So and our president. He got, away, he got away with it, basically. Well, and he was look impeached. At Hil- look at Hillary. Look at Hillary with her home server. In other words, here's the bottom line. I don't want to itemize everything. Yeah, please tell me why this is relevant. <laughs> All right. Here's why it's relevant. Because these riots, mm-hmm. this, the, the basic reason is lack of justice in this country. Amen. Yes, that is people are not getting what's due to them. Yes. Whether it's negative or positive, this is what's going on. And I firmly believe that because these young people, were, they were raised up in this era and they see how these older people are getting away with stuff. I yeah. don't care whether it's Republicans or Democrats, they're getting away with stuff. And people look at it and say, wow, he has his own chauffeur coming to the home and pick him up and he does this and he does that. The only justice that I've seen so far was Jeffrey, Epstein. He and how many years did that take? He he abused that's what thousands I'm of people. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And well, and yeah. Who knows? He would if he if that, that hanging didn't occur. He might have got away with everything. And you look at these all these people. And my personal feeling is the White House should be totally cleaned out and fumigated because there's so much injustice going on. And I think young people students have had it because mm-hmm. when i was teaching i can't tell you how many times a kid would come up to me and the popular saying in the school was that ain't right ski mm. that ain't right so i would say well who appointed you judge to say what's right or what's wrong and they would just get tense and say mr ski you know what's right and wrong, and I know what's right and wrong, and what's going on is wrong. Right and from the mouth of times, babes. What from the mouth of babes? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I would have to a couple cases where I would sit them down and talk to them, calm them down because yeah, I mean there was one kid and he found a, a thirty-eight. Oh, actually. I, I, there were guns were in the streets, people throwing away guns. And mm-hmm. I knew this kid and another kid who had a box cutter. And I went to bat for both of these kids. I told the principal with the parents sitting right there. There was a lot of times parents were not there, just grandma would come in. And grandma said, I'm too old for this stuff. Well, somebody's got to take charge of the kids. So I used to tell the principal. Now they respected me in the school because I never gave any problems to the principal, to the uh, my authority figures. 
And I went to, I said, he's got a box cutter. You know why? Because he works at uh, Walmart and he brings in stuff and he has a box cutter to open up boxes. He didn't want to come in and, and attack somebody with a box cutter. He said, I know this kid. He's been in my class for over a year. No way. And then now we get the thing. Well, if your teacher says that, we're going to let this go. Now, see that to me, that was wrong. Because when he should have said, I'm sorry, we made a mistake. Mm. We should have realized that that box cutter was your job and you just had it in your genes. Well, yeah, we'll guilty this... until proven innocent, basically, in, in yeah, the university. Yeah, yeah. It's like it was never established that the kid was guilty or not guilty or whatever. All right, we'll let this go. No, don't let this go. Tell him we're sorry. Mm. This kind of stuff. Now, if it went on in my school, I'm sure my school wasn't an isolated thing. It probably went throughout the whole city. And when they look at these riots in Philadelphia, believe me, my heart goes out to them because I understand what they're looking at. You can't pick up a newspaper. You can't look at the TV, no matter what the news station is, without seeing injustice, injustice, injustice. Mm -hmm. How much do you think the young mind can take? Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, that's, that's, it's hard for me. I mean, I mean, mom told me, why don't you just shut off the TV and don't watch it just for a week and see how you feel. But I'm just praying that somehow, some way, justice will be done because that's what this country needs what does justice look like to you what's that what does justice look like to you in this moment what the riots and all all of it well okay so we had a pre-conversation just to make sure we could have a conversation and i was very happy to hear you capable and willing to separate the fact that there are peaceful protesters and there are rioters and that rioters do include white people, that rioters do include people that are simply out to hijack this movement and to distract from this. I was worried that Fox News was telling you to be more mad about property damage because I I follow this uh, correspondent on Fox News that drives me insane. And one of her main things is constantly pivoting to the destruction of property. And I'm like, shut up. I rarely say that to people, but oh my goodness, shut up. Um, Because we're all upset, including black people. Like you're saying, you were watching on the news, black people begging the community to stop destroying its own community. So we all agree, I believe, you know, even the leaders of this movement. So is Fox News, or the things that you're ingesting telling you to worry more about property? Or am I just making assumptions? No, are they doing better than no, that? No, not at all. They are interviewing doctors, psychologists, and asking them what do they think of what's going on. And I haven't heard anybody mention that, that the big concern is property justice. Okay. Uh, or, you know. I, I, you know hear, like, I see a lot of white Christian women talking about property. Well, that's the way you women are. 
you're always worried about your house, your, your, your dresses, your property. I mean, you're a woman. You can't help that. Oh, my um, gosh. But I'm, I'm willing to look the other way. I'm all right with that. Good. Let's throw some sexism in this conversation. But I mean, hey, it's interesting. I'm just like, why the hell are you talking about that woman? Why? Why? You know, I mean, take that black actor from the Empire show. Smollett's, is that yeah. his name? Yeah. Yeah. He got away with, with, with practical murder. There was, you think no, justice he, was there? No, he got away, or he almost got away with, he apparently paid off people to beat him up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think for attention, but he didn't, he didn't do any murdering. No, I'm, I know he didn't, but I'm just. Oh, well, well, be careful with language because that's a really extreme thing to say. Well, that's an ancient Armenian expression. He got away with murder. Yeah, that's Uh, fine. But now we're talking in in literalism. You can't like, because we are talking about, you know, you can't say, oh, that black guy almost got away with murder when there are white cops literally getting away with murder. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, it's fine. I'm just, I'm just calling you out on the linguistic problem with that because that's a problem. Um, and let me tell you, I think police too see a lot of injustice. Well, they have. Listen, Look at re- this bail thing in New York. A, a cop arrests somebody on the street, pulls them into the police station. They get a quick judgment. Thinks there's no bail. You you just sign a paper and you go. You're out again on the street. Mm, Is that I justice? Um. Probably, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that is the main problem we're worrying well, about. The right mayor. Now. The mayor said the the jails are getting too crowded. So if they were. To- they are. They're 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 a black men. You know, I have a friend. Uh, Avenue Gang is the gang that's like really close to my house. I am a gentrifier, and that's something I did ignorantly. Uh, I moved into a predominantly Mexican neighborhood with my privilege and with my dollar bills, with my modeling job and took over a space that might've well been. I love Mexicans. Don't say anything <laughs> bad about Mexicans. I made a baby with one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know, I didn't know about my white privilege and everything before that happened, but I have seen the tensions of gentrification and how complicated and, and complex and difficult and painful that is. And I befriended um, an Avenue Gang member um, who, I think about two months after we befriended each other, he ended up in prison for two years. And we communicated, we talked a lot while he was in prison. And, and he, he, did a, he helped educate me a lot on the prison industrial system. He has six kids. And, wow. and you know, let's... So take him, for example, we're going to blame him for not being present for his kids when in reality, his story is that, you know, he's born into this system of gang violence. He's born into this system where cops are always harassing him and his friends and they're just presumed guilty until innocent. At 11 years old, uh, uh, another member of the gang, he wasn't in the gang yet, he was 11 years old, asked him to run some methamphetamine for him. And that was the beginning of like his life. And his whole motivation was that his mom was struggling to pay rent. And he was 11 years old, like out of the goodness of his heart being like, dang, I got to help my mom pay rent. This man on the street is offering me all this money to just simply bring this package from one doorstep to another. 
That's yeah. hard to resist when you don't see any other options. So now fast forward, you know, terrible piss poor sex education, no access to, you know, people are talking about defund Planned Parenthood. This, this white woman that I'm raging over right now talking about defund Planned Parenthood is another thing that we have to worry about right now. Meanwhile, black women die in childbirth at an astronomical rate. So these are the white blinders that we have on that I am sick of debating. I, I am sick of our ignorance. Like, can you and I both, dad, concede as white privileged people that we have been worshiping a white Jesus on a cross when that man was brown and that we have blamed black and brown people for their poverty, for their laziness, for the absence of their fathers. Not everybody, have, not everybody. Maybe not everybody, have but- a wide, Well, listen- have a wide brush, like, you're, like they say, you're painting everybody with the same color and that's not right. Well, did we, right. did we worship a white Jesus on a cross? We worship Jesus. Okay, but did he look white? Well, I'll be honest with you. I saw a brown Jesus on the cross. When? In the school system where I taught. Okay, well, that's a good start. But our church is, I'm telling you, I mean, you took me to church. I only saw, I saw a brown or black Jesus like later on in my life. And I was like, well, did you see by. that thing on TV where they excavated? Uh, or they were trying to find out what the real Jesus looked like. And yeah. they were using, uh, yeah, okay. So you saw that, right. He's less sexy than I thought he would be. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was disappointed too. No, I said, I'm just oh man. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh but not don't anyone twist my words, not because he was wasn't white. Uh it's because yeah. I don't know. That, that, whole don't like that, we, <laughs> that whole image that we have of this like hipster looking, uh, you know, straggly, beautiful brown hair, whatever. Um, but I'm only painting these broad strokes, actually. And, and you're right. They're not, it's not a time for broad strokes. It's not a time to mess up our linguistics and say, get away with murder. It's not my time to paint everybody in this large category. That's not fair. But I will tell you from my recollection, these were the arguments you and I were having at the time of Trayvon Martin's death. I think you and I were both painting these broad strokes. And you had at that time said, well, he shoulda, woulda, coulda, these different things. And, you know, black fathers are absent from their families. Like I didn't really hear a lot of acknowledgement of why black and brown people are in these situations in the first place. Well, but why do don't you, police, why don't police drive, go into Camden back one day that after a certain time, they, even in a police car, the safety of a police car, they don't go into Camden. Cause they've made why? enemies of one another. You know, if, if my white friend is getting thrown to the ground and called a faggot in Pasadena, California, that to me just goes to show the attitude. Like, imagine if I walked into a bar uh, after coronavirus and just stormed in and was like, I want to fight. Who wants to fight me? And just came in with all this, like, <laughs> and, and calling people slurs, like racial slurs and, and homosexual slurs. Like, what kind of energy, what kind of response do you think that would evoke from people? Now put a uniform on me where you can't test me. Now give me a gun. 
where I'm actually threatening to your life. Now give me a pair of handcuffs where I can take your livelihood away, where I can separate you from your children for doing a counterfeit dollar, $20 bill. Like, what do we do, dad? That's injustice. That's what that is. And unless our police, uh, you see, the military has the right idea. They have extensive classes in training on, on how to handle people, how to uh, understand where they're coming from. Even the young guys, the 19 and 20 year olds that come into the military, you'll find that like Fox interviewed a, a black guy in a crowd and he was a national guard, but he had civilians on, civilian clothes on, but he was a national guard. And you should have heard the way he was explaining it. Very, like, I, yeah, well, like I honor. Mean, I mean, I don't, I really do, can't speak to military versus police, but from my objective view, what I see in the military as an upheld value is honor and, and accountability. And I don't mm -hmm. know if that's across the board, but as far as I know, there are records placed where people are held accountable and also people are imprisoned and punished for war crimes. I know there's corruption. I know people get away with things, but you, I think you're right. That is something police do not have accountability that's and they don't right. even they have don't. public record. And you know what they don't have most of all? Honor. They don't that's right. care about that's honor. They're, they're bullies right now. And... I would have never had that opinion two weeks ago because this is called God is gray. I'm always like, let's see it from this angle. Let's see it from this angle. This is what this person is going through. I haven't told you this yet, but like I was in Chipotle. I went on a long bike ride to clear my head. I went to Chipotle to pick up dinner for me and David and there were two cops in there and I had no idea how to react to them as a Christian woman because I have a lot of feelings right now. So instead of facing the way I felt, I simply put my eyes to the ground and walked out because I didn't want to give them hate. I didn't want to give them love. I didn't want to give them anything. I was just like, I'm going to ignore this. I don't know what to do. Yeah, and yeah. one of the police officers came up to help me with the door. And the other police officer said, don't help her. And, and pulled him back and the other police officer went. And when I saw that 70 year old man get violently pushed and potentially killed. He's in the ICU right now. We don't know what's going to happen. One man went to help him and another one of his police officer brothers picked him away and like, kept him moving. And, and they all as a united evil front decided to listen to that chump and, and follow his lead of complacency, of injustice, of vile evil. And I don't know if you can even stomach the videos that I've been looking at of police brutality happening all over the country right now. And to me, this is because they are not educated, trained properly, and, and they don't have honor, That's let right. alone justice. They, they are right. absent of justice. And, and you know what? Cops don't fear the law because they are above the law. No one should be above the law. The United States of America isn't above the law. Why the hell? Are these murdering bullies above the law? Because they have no honor. They have no education to, to, to understand that. Like, I'll tell you, Jamaican blacks, they, they're educated 
from the islands by the British. And if you ever talk to a Jamaican black, as a matter of fact, I had a Jamaican student in one of my classes. And I remember he got into trouble and I had to go to the office with, with his mother. And I said, uh, somebody called him a name or something. Uh, and I've said to the principal, you know, I don't understand what this black on black violence is all about. And the mother, man, she got crazy. She said, whoa, whoa, wait, my son is not black. My son is Jamaican. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I had a case where it was all a Jamaican person was trying to cheat me out of, I, I did a, a dish and stuff for him and he owed me $25. And he said, no, he doesn't have it. He's not gonna give it to me. And then I said to him, you know, sir, you have no honor. You are a man without honor. And man, you should have saw his face change. Mm -hmm. I am honorable. Well, then give me my money you owe me. And he did. Mm -hmm. When I called to his attention, he had no honor. Now, I don't know if that would have an effect on a policeman or something. But I think that's where that, that's where it is, Brenda. There's mm -hmm. no justice because there's no honor. There's no respect for each other. You know, it's funny we're talking about this because last night I had a class, a virtual class, because I'm the um, character development instructor talking to my cadets mm. about honor and how to have a, an agreeable disagreement. Oh, and really? Was, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. You're copying God is great, Dad. You're trying to steal my uh, thunder. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, just to explain to people, this is for uh, what is it? CPC? Is that how? Is that the acronym? What is it? Oh, your your oh. cadets of what? I forget what it's called. Character development. No, but of what? What's it called? Oh, and last night's lesson was how to uh, uh, how to agree. Oh, no, let me get this straight. No, wait, Dad. I'm talking How about the... How to disagree. Okay. How to disagree agreeably. Well, maybe that's why we're having one of the most agreeable conversations we've had in a really long time. Well, yeah. I, uh, I'm supposed to be teaching the kids how to be honorable and how to agree or disagree honorably. Mm -hmm. And just say, you know, I told him some of the points. One main point we had a big discussion on. When somebody challenges you and disagrees with you, they say, well, this is not right. That's not right. What you should do is say, well, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. What you're saying is, and then repeat what they're upset about. Because many times there's a miscommunication. The person mm -hmm. who is challenging you says, no, no, that's not what I meant. Oh, I'm sorry, but that's what I heard. Well, tell me again. And usually right there, you can diffuse a lot of hostility when the person knows that he's not communicating with you and you're getting all upset because you think he's saying something else. So I think you're saying A and you think I'm saying uh, A also, but we're not. We're both talking B and C. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, we have this every Thursday, uh, every Thursday, first Thursday of every month. We have- um, Is this a diverse group of people or are you teaching white boys? Oh yeah, 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 I got, yeah, I got uh, uh, one of the black kids, black cadets, 
his name is uh, his last name is Smart, and he's got a name tag on his uniform. It says Smart. So I said to him, I looked at him, I said, "Wow, you're so smart. You got it on your uniform." And he smiled at me. He said, "Yes, sir." I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, and I, I, I'm telling you, Brenda, I am so glad. And, and also, I'm an assistant to the chaplain, too. And I would want to be a chaplain myself, but I need an education in the theology and, you know, how to, how to, Christy, uh, I haven't had it happen yet, but I understand it's coming up where the chaplain conducts a funeral and I have to assist him. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But to me, I see that all the time. No honor, no respect for each other. And the misunderstandings times a thousand. Mm -hmm. You know? Okay, so in conclusion, what we're saying is that regardless of our politics, which are very, very different, right now we are reaching across the aisle to one another and saying that cops are murdering black people in the streets and that we as a united front are not okay with that and not yeah, standing think, for that i i disagree i think murdering is a very harsh term really yeah you don't think we just saw a murder well i don't think the policeman meant to kill him i think he was just trying to restrain him yeah, but Which, you he had he had no training and had a, a you know you don't stick your knee in a guy's neck because you got all your arteries and stuff in the neck. But exactly. I Do think, you know that he did he was doing that not only with the confidence and calm and poise of someone that knew that he was gonna get away with that? Reveling in like just totally having a, a man larger than him, a man, a real man, not a coward, not a bully, not an asshole, standing on that man, dominating him in handcuffs, like a total coward. And he was doing that in front of a 17-year-old girl. A 17-year-old black girl was the one that recorded that murder. And I believe that he was getting off on letting her know that her people are subjugated to him. And maybe that's a lot for me to say, but it is. I looked I think at you're reading too much into that. I don't think it's that way at all. Oh God. I, I don't want to end justice. the conversation. There's going this. to be justice. He's already the second degree murder. I think it's going to go to first degree murder. And that low life is going to be in jail for the rest of his life or better yet, he'll be executed. And that'll send a message to all the policemen in this country that you're not, like you said, above the law. You're not above the law. And that's got to get across to them. Okay, so we might not agree on the level of terrible that I believe that man is, but we agree yeah, that yeah. policies need to change and that cops can no longer be above the law. And we also agree that they are currently above the law. Yes. Up until this moment. They believe they are. Yes. Because and they are. They just are. 
Well, no, not really. Because well, this is the first. This happens, is the first time. They could they could pull off duty, and they get a desk job until it's resolved. <laughs> they murder, have, it, murder should never be resolved in that way. I mean, imagine if you so you murder one of your black students by accidentally uh, being a little too crazy with it, and you just work in the office of the school for a little while. No, you should go to prison. No. That's manslaughter, at least, if not outright first-degree murder. After a hearing. Justice is justice. And after, you shouldn't just automatically, I mean, that's, that's third world country stuff. We don't do that way in this country. We do that. We, we, give, we give the person a hearing, a chance to tell their side of the story. But and we're already way- programmed to believe that cops are in the right. And also, they lose their body cam footage. They can't find it they it broke and then the person dies you know this is this is corruption you're saying we don't do it this way here we do no 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 i said that when you when somebody does something horrific like that they should get a hearing before they get railroaded into a prison that's fair but are you informed of how all of them get acquitted literally all of them before this man, except I, I, I found an article where one black man was held accountable for murdering some, a civilian, of, I mean, a black cop. But um, this is the first instance of accountability of white police officer. Well, you know, I hate to say this, but I believe Mr. Floyd's murder or whatever happened there is going to have repercussions throughout the whole country. Yeah. I think this is, yeah, I, I hate to say, but I think his death is going to serve a very useful lesson, very useful purpose, because I believe from that moment on, look at the protests. I mean, these kids, all the, everybody, adults too, they see now the ultimate injustice. Mm-hmm. taking a person's life mm-hmm. and getting away with it. Yeah. You can't get any ultimate than that, man. Mm-hmm. You know? So I, I think, Brenda, this, in a way, I, I hate to say this, but I think this is a good thing that it happened this way, where somebody actually witnessed it, and, and because we had cell phones, somebody actually made a video of that. Oh, my goodness. And when I see pictures of that cop, he looks so smug. Mm-hmm. And I just want to go and slap him or something and say, hey, buddy, you're an ass. Why don't you face it? Yeah. I'm sorry about my language. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I know. It's hard for me to contain my language, too. I would, you know, vengeance you is the Lord's, Brenda. and I do believe that. I really do. That's why I don't believe in the death penalty, because I do believe in the vengeance of the Lord. I I know not everyone will agree with me on that, and I'll clarify that later as well. Yeah. Uh, But, but yeah, I mean, I see a lot of agreeance between us, and I think that's amazing, because if you and I were screaming with so much disagreement, like whenever uh, whenever Trayvon happened, which is years ago, and now we are finding so much common ground, I'm I'm encouraged by that. That's good. Yeah. That's good. And the last thing I do want to say is that there was a a white pastor who kind of um, likened George Floyd to like a sacrificial lamb. 
because in, in many ways, you're right. This is apparently forcing so much good in that, you know, it's really forcing people to rise up and there is finally accountability and, and that needs to be the precedent sent. His nationwide. death was not for nothing. I believe that. Yeah. But whether like, but, but he should have, you know, even Jesus consented to being that sacrificial lamb and George Floyd never consented to that. And I just want to, I just want to say that. And I know you agree with that as well, but I don't want Absolutely. anyone to, to feel harmed that. by, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, no harm in saying that. Um, well, that's it. Um, any final words, Daddy? Yeah, I, I've, I've always been saying ever since I've been teaching and I see kids getting mistreated by the authorities, it always graded me because, uh, and anything I could do to help them get justice, to me, that's the most important thing. In order for a society to be together, like I say, well, Trump or whoever divides the country, now, the reason the country is divided is because there's no justice. Yeah. People in high offices get away with it. Mm-hmm. And like I said, people are not stupid. Now, if every one of these people got justice, got their prison terms and everything, then then the, the, the whole country would change. Yeah, then your precious storefronts, you know, wouldn't, you wouldn't have to be talking about That's that. That's right. That's, that's, right. that's yeah. why that pivot is so disgusting to me because it's like, you're looking at, you know, it's like looking at a rotten fruit on a tree. You got to get to the roots. You can't just complain about the rot. On right. The tree. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, this okay. has been shockingly present, pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're going to go out. You're going to go out with your scissors and start clipping out things. <laughs> I've said, I know that. No, no, you, you didn't say at the top of the conversation or before we talked, I was like, if you say anything humiliating, dad, I'm going to cut it out because I don't want people to think you're a horrible person. Cause I know you're not, but, um, dang, you know, your side of the aisle has said some things that are very offensive to my sensibilities and, and to my Christianity. But, um, but this particular conversation has been really encouraging. Thank you so much. Good, good. I'm glad. Cause I was a little nervous when you <laughs> said you wanted my, <laughs> Well, I just chugged a a glass of rosé, so (laughs) that's how nervous I was. (laughs) Oh, you're beautiful. You are really beautiful. I am so proud of you, you can't believe it. (laughs) I really, truly am. Well, I'm proud of you, too. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you very much. This is a lot of progress since we were screaming at each other. (laughs) You have, too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We love you all. God bless. Okay.